Hello, this is Leslie Garthwell Tenzer, and this is Legal Tenzer. Casual conversations on noteworthy legal topics. Welcome back after the holiday break. I'm excited to kick off this semester with a discussion about the power of law students. My guest and colleague, Professor Camilla Bustos, is here to discuss her work with law students for climate accountability. Professor Bustos started this nonprofit with her fellow law students while at Yale. The organization mobilizes law students to transform the role of law firms in exacerbating climate injustice. I found this discussion particularly fascinating in large part because it highlights the ways in which law students can affect climate change through their decisions on where to practice law. I'm certain you will enjoy this too, and you will learn a lot. So here's my discussion with Professor Bustos. All right, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to listen to about your nonprofit, um, Law Students for Climate Accountability. You, you know, as we speak, they're having a, um, a UN conference, right, about the climate and it's bleak <laughs> to say the be at, at best, unfortunately. So I think this is really important. And I think it's nice to know that law students are worrying about climate accountability, not just kind of environmentalists per se, and that there's a real role for law students in shaping our environment in a positive way. So start please by just telling me a little bit about what Law Students for Climate Accountability does, um, who you our members are, and just familiarize ourselves with it. Yeah, happy to. Um, so Law Students for Climate Accountability began in 2020 just as an experiment with a group of friends at Yale. It was the middle of the pandemic. We had started law school and I think all of us wanted to be climate lawyers and yet found that traditional law schools, um, you know, starting from the curriculum are not necessarily environmental law schools. And I think we also were a bit frustrated by the emphasis to go work at big law as the kind of primary thing to do as a lawyer. And through our research, we were realizing all the ways in which fossil fuel companies, the, the companies driving the climate crisis, use lawyers, right? From the moment a pipeline is constructed to the moment when they're securing a contract to lobbying to litigation, right? So um, we essentially started with a report and we call it the climate scorecard. And what it does is it looks at the Vault 100 law firms and it looks at their transactional lobbying and litigation work in support of the fossil fuel industry. And we give them a grade. So we score them <laughs> from A to F. And we've done that every year. Uh, so now wow. we're in the fourth iteration of the climate scorecard. That's amazing. So what earns an A and what earns an F and what earns a C? So the methodology is a little wonky. <laughs> it's long and I don't want to <laughs> bore you with the details. But essentially, um, you know, to, to be an A firm, you have to have a real commitment to, to the climate crisis, which means you're not helping fossil fuel companies evade ac accountability, right? So we've seen a lot of cases, climate litigation cases, where counties and municipalities are suing uh, fossil fuel companies for their deception. You know, for decades, they told us climate change wasn't happening, right? They, they re uh, replicated a lot of the same tactics as tobacco. So that's one example. So definitely, if you are litigating on behalf of Exxon or Chevron, you're probably ending with a D or an F, just with that. But then there's lobbying, right, which uh, and we only do federal lobbying right now, but we're also interested in expanding into state and then transactional. I mean, that's a, a bulk, uh, you know, of, of the grade also comes from are we are, are they facilitating transactions in the renewable energy sector or the fossil fuel sector? And so we don't they don't actually cancel each other out because you know, we, we have a moral commitment 
to to a just transition and to decarbonization. So it doesn't matter if you're doing all this great renewable work if you're still doing all this fossil fuel work. So what we're really trying to do is, you know, change a little bit the the culture of the legal profession and and kind of name and shame um, some of these things that you know that lawyers are doing on behalf of the fossil fuel industry. That's really interesting. So I have a couple questions, but I guess the first that comes to mind is: Do you get a sense that some of the top law students are looking at this scorecard and making a decision on which law firm to work for based on it? I love this question because when we first started, it was just, again, a small group of us at Yale doing this. And it's now actually an international organization. So we have a, a national board of students you know, from law schools across the country. We have a national director. We have consultants. And we actually have a group of students in the UK, Australia, Canada, and hopefully soon South Africa <laughs> working on wow. their oh my gosh. Wow. parts. So this this has massively grown. And and again, it it it's it started just from our own sort of interest. And I think there's a real appetite uh, because you know the next generation of law students and of lawyers knows what threat climate change poses, right? And I think a lot of folks understand, you know, that they want to have a really amazing career and at the same time not contribute to the demise of our planet. So uh, students have been using it anecdotally. Uh, we know that. But we also know that the law firms are paying attention. So the first time we released the scorecard, we got a lot of press coverage and the reporters would you know, contact the partners and the partners would say no comment. Right. So they wouldn't even engage with the scorecard. You know, now, you know, it's the fourth iteration. And now they're saying things like, well, we're not, you know, these are radical students that want us to drop our fossil fuel clients and we will not do such a thing. And we also know that in some of the surveys post-interview, you know, for, for future associates, they're including the scorecard in, did you consider the climate scorecard in your decision to apply to this firm or not? So it's coming up in interviews, it's coming up in surveys. Oh, um, wow. And and I think, yeah, we're really, we're really trying to 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 change the culture. We have a pledge, firms have signed it. We're trying to get our first big, you know, Vault 100 firm to sign. And it's it's a campaign and it's it's growing. So you can affect through this campaign who big law accepts as I mean, is it is it fair to say that you can decide who they accept as a client or how they represent the clients that they accept because I guess really it's the latter more than the former right because you're not saying don't represent Exxon you're just saying don't represent Exxon in these particular types of causes of action right like if Exxon wants to acquire another company you know that's a green company that would be something okay right Yes. So so it's tricky because we are using public databases to, to get this information. The firms, of course, are not giving us this information. So we're right. using public databases. And if people are interested, you can go into, you know, to our website and actually read our, our methodology. It's quite, you know, it's quite well, yeah. it's quite well thought out. And I think for us, yes, the core of it is if you are facilitating fossil fuel emissions through your work, that is... Mm -hmm. That is more important than if your law firm is recycling or turning off lights, because right. I think the way traditionally we're thinking about environmental impact is in-house, you know, operations and things like that. And we're saying, no, 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 no. Advice emissions, which is an increasingly interesting concept that folks are writing about, should also be considered because ultimately those things won't happen without the lawyers. The lawyers are, are lending a service, an essential service. And in doing that, they're taking a side. That's that's essentially what we're saying. So it's it's called what's it called advice. So advice admissions. Um, advice and, admissions. Okay. Mm -hmm. So exactly. So usually um, there's like scope one, two, and three. 
and those refer to, again, sort of the more traditional way we think about emissions, advice emissions. And this is not just, by the way, lawyers. This is actually happening across different service sectors. So, for example, there's been a big push, obviously, to get financial institutions out of fi financing fossil fuel operations. Uh, but we see it a lot in the PR sector. So there's been a lot of pressure for firms, you know, PR firms to drop clients like Exxon and Chevron. And we're like, you know, we're in conversation with with those advocacy communities as well. That's so interesting. So what about, I mean, I, I know you're, I understand, it's, it's interesting. I love doing this podcast because I always learn new terms and everything, but I'm thinking more about a big law firm that is constantly sending their attorneys all over the country in planes and, you know, huge carbon footprint, not based on who not based on the causes of actions that they're fighting, but rather based on just the practice of law. So in order to practice law effectively, they have to have a big carbon footprint because they are global and people are flying all over the place and, and what have you. Is that something that you worry about too? Or is this mostly the advice? It's important, but it's not our mission. And here's why. So you'll go to the websites of a lot of these big firms, you know, international firms, and they'll have a whole page on sustainability. And they'll tell you how, commit, how committed they are, you know, to the climate, to human rights, you know, to their ESG commitments and so on and so forth. And, and of course, that matters. I'm not trying to minimize that. At the same time, the bulk of their emissions, in our view, is really coming from the fossil fuel companies they're representing. But lawyers, because of our professional responsibility and, and the way the profession has evolved, often evade accountability because it's easy to wash your hands and say, well, I'm just... I'm just providing a service, you know, the right. same way I have to represent X company, I represent Y company. And if it happens to be a fossil fuel company, well, bad luck. And what we're saying is, no, 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 the climate crisis is changing the way we should think about our profession. And, and you as a firm should care about this because your talent pool is going to be affected. We've already heard right. about folks who are trying to negotiate in their contracts to not have to represent. They'll be like, great, great, great. I'll work at your firm, but I do not want to be like on my docket. I don't want to have fossil fuel cases. You know, I mean, we're talking to folks who've left big law because, you know, their firm started developing their their fossil fuel portfolio. Um, and, and and so, again, it's all it's hard to measure the, the impact insofar as a lot of it is new and, and it's anecdotal, but it's really changing the conversation. And, and we're trying to again, to sort of replicate a bit of, of the strategies that, you know, anti-tobacco movements did, which was erode prestige, right? And erode yeah. their social license yeah. to, to operate. Yeah. I mean, you know, what I think is so interesting about this is recognizing the power of the law student versus the power of the law firm. There's a sense that the law firms have all the power when they're making their hiring decisions. But the reality, as you're pointing it out, is that law students a lot of law students are incredibly talented and they're really, you know, desired. And, you know, there is some value in you, you know, this kind of absent you here, but in the individual students in what they can bring to the law firm. And if no one will go to a particular law firm, the law firm doesn't have first year associates, they can't even practice law. Precisely, precisely. So, so we're, yeah, we're empowering students, yeah. we're informing them. We're saying, look, if you're going into big law, great. Here's a scorecard that can tell you where the firm stands on climate. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we have folks who are going to firms who aren't going to firms, right? Like this is really the organization. I think what we're really trying to do is build community, first of all, because law school's hard. <laughs> and a lot of us don't want to forget why we went to law school in the first place or, or, or what we want our careers to be. And then the second part of this is, is really empower students. 
to make the choices that are aligned with their, you know, their personal priorities, but also their, their values. So we're going to put in the liner notes, how to find your, you know, the not-for-profit, but how do you reach out to students? I mean, I assume everyone at Yale now knows about this, but what about other schools? How are you reaching out to other schools and students at other places? So it's been a process and it's been interesting because again, we put off the first scorecard thinking that we were just producing our report and we were done. <laughs> and and I think we were naive in, in thinking and not, I think, realizing the, the appetite for this kind of work. And then people started contacting us, you know, people from Harvard, NYU and others who had on social media seen it. And so we started building this network of like climate friendly students. Right. And eventually we started creating a, a governance structure that allowed us to kind of build the campaigns and actually run them. So, well, we started at Yale. Now it's a national organization. And every year we have a board composed of, of students across the nation. And, and the way we do this is, you know, social media, word of mouth. We organize events not just about the scorecard, but we also have had events, you know, in the past with senators and also with practitioners who have either left big law or are nonprofits and can help people, like, you know, students kind of give them practical advice, career advice. And now we've been able to actually get funding. So we now have a full-time staff person who helps oh, us. Wow. Yeah, who is, helps, the, she basically runs the entire organization, right? She, she has helped us. And increasingly, again, I think I mentioned this, folks internationally have contacted us. So now we're also in the process of writing grants and, you know, basically running international projects as well. So the organization is growing. And again, it's, but but it's a law student really led organization. I, I think we, right. we've always envisioned it to be that way. And I think that's where the power of, of the mission of the vision really lies. Yeah, it sounds like it is. I mean, one of the problems with law school is it's only three years. You know, in the first year, you're so busy, you know, so there, there's that, that turnover. But I think that, you know, when something is as important as this, you probably, you know, people, three L's tell their two L's, tell their one L's, or there's a podcast that they'll listen to or something like that. So how many people would you say, I mean, how many people did you start with and what, do you have any idea how it's grown? It's a good question because there's ebbs and flows, right? So I would say seven of us started at Yale <laughs> and okay. we had oh, and we had only one campus, right? And it was just us. And now I would say we have active chapters probably around 10 schools. But then wow. there's folks who are interested and have either volunteered or participated in the research. I would say probably over two dozen campuses. And so again, for us, organizing has kind of focused first on the East Coast and the West Coast, because that's where you have a lot of, you know, uh, law schools. But we really are, you know, our, our our national director, Haley, she went to University of Alabama. So she's actually been really looking into, you know, expanding, expanding um, law students for climate accountability in the South. And so and again, now internationally. So it's hard to estimate. But now we have, you know, I would say probably about 50 people who are involved in different capacities. But yeah, it's it's. It's a big effort. That's it's it's hard, but it's important. Do you have a sense of anyone who really based their decision on looking at the scorecard? I mean, I assume you have to have a bunch of offers to be able to have the luxury of looking at the scorecard and really making a decision from it. I'm guessing, right? But you know, and I I also think, and I'm putting words in your mouth, that there are a lot of steps between looking at the scorecard and choosing who you work for and ignoring it. Like you can bring it up in an interview and you can kind of demand things once you're in there as a first year and that kind of stuff. But do you have anyone who, you, do you have any idea of people who just said, I will not go to this law firm? I've had conversations with people who said to me, I only apply to A, B, and C law firms. 
Um, okay, because they didn't want to apply to any law firm on the list or not an F on the they list. They didn't want to get because everyone's F. on the list, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, everyone's. I mean, all of the big uh, sort of Vault One Hundred firms, right? Of course, right. if you're a boutique firm, uh, you will not be on the list. But probably, it, depending on your, you know, your practice, like you may not even have fossil fuel clients, right? So yeah. we're really targeting yeah. the the biggest <laughs> and most powerful <laughs> law firms. And you know, we did what a report in the UK as well, and. And we were actually doing it on their top five, and 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 it was a little different because, you know, of course, the legal systems is is different. But we also found a lot of interest from students, you know, at Cambridge, Oxford, University of Bristol, and others that are hungry for this information, and they want to understand, again, how to how to have a career that aligns with with what they care about. You know, it's just I, I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. I think it's unbelievable. This was never in our conscience for my generation that we had power to shape through decision-making and hiring, you know, through our decision of what law firm to choose that we had power to shape policy. So it's really, and, and we see, you know, I don't, listen, I don't want to get into at all what's going on in the world, but we do see too that law firms are choosing who to hire based on certain behaviors of law students. But what you're doing is you're saying law students decide who they work for based on certain behaviors of law firms. And so it really goes both ways. Exactly. I think we are interested in shifting power here, right? And I think we're yeah. saying, we're saying <laughs> we'll take law students who have the least power, arguably, in that in the totem pole or the hierarchy of the legal profession. And we're saying, no, you also you also need them, right? You also need us. And and yeah. And, and I don't know, again, I, I think law firms, you know, throughout time, there's been historical examples where they've dropped clients or moved away of controversial issues, right? Because those are political decisions, right? There are professional obligations, but often politics are involved. And so, you know, we saw this uh, with, I think, Jones Day or others dropping clients or, or trying to stay away from, you know, associations with Trump. Uh, and there's been other examples. So, again, what we're saying is this has been done. <laughs> it's not the first time we have a controversial client and and this time is actually different because we're facing you know we're facing the biggest challenge humanity has ever has ever faced and you're going to be you know your generation is inheriting the earth so you have exactly. a lot at stake like, and you not just a lot at stake you have a right to demand this because it's you know it's it you have you know god willing your generation has a, the longest on this earth and say the hiring partners, you know, if we just kind of go with this idea of everyone lives through old age, the hiring partners have less time on this earth than than your generation. So I think that it's not just a luxury, it's it's and it's not just a right, it's a necessity to, you know, make this change. What do you so what are you looking to forward to? I know that you want to expand, but whether there are other things you're looking forward to in the future for your for um, law students for climate accountability? So for those interested, we're actually organizing our first national convening or conference in the spring. And we're doing this with Pace Law School, NYU oh. and Yale. And we're trying to put together a conference on legal ethics and big law broadly. So it won't just be on climate and environment, but that'll be a big part of it. Uh, and we're trying to partner with, you know, some other advocacy organizations um, and stay tuned for that. So that's kind of the big thing in the spring. But as I said, I think we're now trying to hire <laughs> internationally as well, someone to help us direct uh -huh. some of those international campaigns. How are you getting your funding? Foundations and donations. Uh, so that's been wow. interesting too. Uh, we've been learning a lot about nonprofit law <laughs> and, you know, incorporation and um, grant writing, so on and so forth. So it's been yeah. fun. 
actually next week I have a podcast coming out on nonprofit law. So uh, we have, you know, we're both at pace and so is John Brown. And he is very schooled in that, but yeah, you know, it's great to build something. It's just, it's exciting to build something. So I think that's really amazing. Anything else you think our listeners should know about um, law students for climate accountability? Uh, that's a hard question. I think we've covered, we've covered definitely the basics, but if anything, I'll just, you know, I, I'll just reiterate that the world's changing law is changing and the priorities of, of students are changing. And I think law firms ought to take really, really seriously how the next generation will or will not want to work for them based on on who they're representing and, and how they're facilitating the destruction of, of, of our planet. Well, I, I am in awe of what you've created. I think this is really amazing. I think there's two takeaways. Number one, it's important to work for a, com- a firm that aligns with your own personal values. But number two, that law students have power in making decisions and those decisions can really affect change. So I think this is terrific. I encourage all our listeners to check the um, liner notes to learn more about law students for climate accountability and they can reach out and maybe we'll get some other campuses to join you. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss or a professor or attorney with whom you'd like me to speak, send us an email at legaltensor at westacademic.com and send us any suggestions you may have. We love getting feedback. Have a great day. This podcast was created in collaboration with West Academic. Additional episodes can be found on the West Academic Study Aids Collection. Students may already have access through their school subscription and can check with their law school library for access. For a limited time, Legal Tensor listeners can save 15% on titles on the West Academic Store with the promo code TENSOR15 at checkout. <laughs>